When Europeans explored new areas of the world hundreds of years ago, they brought weapons of oppression that resulted in atrocities like genocide, slavery, and disease. But they also brought things like knowledge of markets, technology, and different ideas for political institutions. While the indigenous people of these areas certainly didn't benefit from colonial settlement hundreds of years ago, how would these new ideas and technologies impact the people living in these areas today? On today's episode, we look into how each country's historical experience with European colonialism can predict its level of per capita income today. You're listening to the Success Project podcast series from the NYU Development Research Institute. The NYU Development Research Institute, DRI, was founded by William Easterly and Yao Nyarko. DRI, understanding the barriers to growth and development. I'm Will Comperl, and here to talk with me today about what a country's history with European colonialism can tell us about its GDP per capita today are William Easterly and Ross Levine, authors of the paper, the European Origins of Economic Development. Guys, thank you for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. Your paper focuses on how the proportion of Europeans in a country during the colonial period relates to its economic outcome today. Now, colonialism involved horrible atrocities like genocide, murder, enslavement that were clearly abusive of the most basic rights of the indigenous people. But if we're just going to focus on the economic outcomes, these things must have also had lasting negative economic effects on the colonies, colonized countries. Is it that simple, or are there other mechanisms to think about? All of the forces that you talked about in terms of Europeans bringing disease and oppression and slavery and mass murder, all of these happened, there's no doubt about that, and they almost certainly had adverse effects as well. Um, there are some other potential implications as well of having this new influx of human beings during the European era. And one of those happens to be the, uh, the new human capital. So people from other parts of the world with different types of skills, with an awareness that there is a rest of the world, that there are markets out there, and that some of the things in the country could be sold into that big world economy um, Europeans also brought that knowledge and, and other expertise when they spread around the world. Yeah, so a way to um, take your question is when we're talking about economic outcomes today, we're obviously talking about it for the people who are there today. And so, you know, those people do not include the descendants of those who were the, the victims of genocide by Europeans, obviously. So we're not talking about the general well-being created by Europeans, won't like to, um, because we're the, the people who lost the most from the Europeans' arrival are no longer there, and of course they were horrible victims of horrendous genocide, slavery, oppression, war on indigenous Americans, on uh, Africans br brought to the Americas. So what we're seeing is really the effect on the survivors of all of that, who of course are the, the, the victors, the, the descendants of the victors when Europeans conquered those areas. So the Europeans could bring this, the human capital aspect of it, but also then some institutions that we might think could be conducive to growth. Then there's also the negative effect of having oppressive institutions and what the net effect is, is to be determined by the cliffhanger you know, 
in yep. your some at some point in your paper. We'll get to it. Yep, that, that's so on the political institutions, it can go two different ways as well. So there's many stories of the Europeans coming, and there's some crop, a sugar cop, crop, or some mineral, whether it's silver, and the Europeans want to extract that, and so they need to set up a political regime so that a few Europeans can control the indigenous population or slaves that they brought from other places. And even when the crops and the minerals become less important, those institutions for oppressing the many for the benefit of a few can remain in place and endure and have these long-term negative effects uh, on economic development. And, and so in, in that case, we would say that they're, the institutions are extractive. But on the other end, what, how do those institutions look? Well, on the other end, when you have uh, sort of a majority of Europeans wind up being the, the, the population of a country, again, after this horrendous process of, of genocide and, and oppression, uh, at that point, the majority wants to do things that are good for the future of the majority, which is, uh, you know, good institutions that reward entrepreneurship and, and investment and innovation and you, where you, you don't have the government be an evil, oppressive government punishing the population because the majority is deciding they want a good government for themselves. And so it's, you know, we went into this paper with these sort of expectations that sort of minority Europeans were sort of evil, oppressive regimes. And majority Europeans would be these benevolent uh, regimes that would at least treat themselves well. And in a way, uh, the findings of the paper sort of contradicted that expectation. It turned out the minority regimes were actually doing pretty well also compared to the cases of having no, no settlement at all in colonial regimes. What about the share of the population that is European today? Why did you decide to focus on the share of the European population during the colonial period um, rather than today? We wanted to differentiate between the proportion of the population that was European early on in colonial development and the Europeans that arrived later. And one of the things that makes this so nice is that is it Europeans per se, or is it something that Europeans brought during this colonial period that had this enduring, enduring effect on development? And by looking both at Europeans then and Europeans a couple of centuries later, we can distinguish between those. This is a story that concentrates on stuff that Europeans a long time ago brought with them, and it was those things that resulted in good outcomes today, not, not something about kind of Europeans in general being good for development. So your, your findings were that the, the higher the share of the European population um, predicts a higher outcome in these countries today. The historical share during colonial times predicts a good outcome today, and that that is much more predictive than the share today of Europeans in those countries. And that's consistent with the thinking that you mentioned before, the idea that the, the payoff to these institutions or the human capital is not something immediate, it accumulates over time. Yeah, yes. very much, yeah. yeah. Now there, there are a handful of countries, specifically the United States, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, where people of European descent make up the vast majority of the population. Is it possible that these, which are sort of outliers in the general ecosystem, uh, could skew the results? It, it's possible that they could skew the results, but um, we conduct the analyses both including them and excluding them. 
And indeed, when we exclude the so-called Neo-Europes, the relationship between um, a few more Europeans during the, a few more percentage Europeans during the colonial era and the positive association with future economic development becomes even stronger. And so this is, this relationship that we're finding is not simply due to um, the, the, the Neo-Europe. Yeah, due to a few exceptional cases. Then. Right, right. And this kind of affirms the finding again that uh, the sort of conventional wisdom that sort of minority European settlements are these evil oppressors that are going to have really negative consequences for the future. We're sort of really contradicting that because we're actually finding that those guys kind of like per additional European are actually having a more positive net effect than the majority European cases. So of course they did bring these bad things with them, but they were bringing other good things with them that uh, had a more, uh, on net, had a positive effect. Low levels of European settlement during the colonial era might predict extractive institutions, as we said. Mm -hmm. But eventually, if that number gets low enough, it hits zero. Yep. So do you, in your analysis, do you make any judgment about whether no settlement is better than low settlement? So we, we wanted to. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm not sure we're able to distinguish between countries with essentially zero European settlement and countries with a low proportion of European settlement that around, once you get to those numbers, it's difficult to clearly classify countries having no Europeans because almost all countries had some Europeans during the colonial era. Yeah, the way we, I think the way we really try to frame it is to emphasize the idea of settlement. So, of course, we're, what we're not able to do is, is test the effect of European colonialism to no colonialism, because there are almost no places in the world that were not colonized by the Europeans, and even those cases are very ambiguous and debated. Um, so, essentially, Europeans are everywhere, um, but in most places, they're everywhere as just a few administrators and policemen and soldiers that are not settlers. So what our data, we think, kind of allowed us to do was really identify the cases where there was at least a, you know, a, a, a critical mass of settlers, even if it was very small as a percent of the population, that they really were settlers. And that, we did find, had a positive effect relative to having no Europeans or just a few administrators and, and soldiers. That, that we're clearly identifying as, as yes, that is positive. Uh, but we're, not, we're definitely not doing a test between sort of colonialism and no colonialism. That's, that's something we have to make very clear. Just because the, the world history does not allow us to do that, there's just no really, there are not enough examples of no colonialism. So there are a lot of factors that determine a region's ability to become rich. Many of these, like soil fertility, desirability of the climate, access to trade routes, those haven't changed in the last few centuries since colonialism began. Now, I would think that Europeans would be particularly drawn to the areas that were going to make them rich. So is it possible that the wealth we see today in a country has nothing to do with European colonial settlement, but it's actually because of something like soil fertility? Do your that's, results take this into account? That's a really good question. You're, you should apply to a PhD program right away. <laughs> <laughs> I have it duly noted. <laughs> so, yes, no, and we spent a lot of time worrying about this. The strategy we develop is to try to control for as many features as the literature offers in terms of accounting for long-run economic development. And having done that, then assess uh, 
do Europeans during the colonial era still matter or still help account for future economic development? And we find that, it, that, they, that they do. Like any good academic paper, there are, of course, limits to what it can explain about the world. So what would you say are the limits to the findings of your paper? So for, like, in our analyses, we're looking at human capital and political institutions in fairly recent times. And if we could trace out the evolution of educational opportunities, human capital, the evolution of political institutions from the colonial period onward, this would strengthen the ability to uh, point to which particular channel is more or less important. What would you like to be the biggest thing people take away from your paper? We're taking something that was already kind of on the radar that people knew about, that uh, where, where Europeans went, those are places that are relatively rich today compared to places where Europeans didn't go. And, you know, that's a, that's a kind of fact that used to be interpreted in a very racist way by, by the previous, previous generations of Europeans in, a, in the U.S. And, and elsewhere. And I think um, people were kind of afraid to even talk about that because it had such a racist uh, connotation to discuss those facts. And I think, you know, this is, this is an important fact about the world, and I think we were able to discuss it in a way that made clear what the mechanisms were, that it was, of course, not about race, that it was about things that the Europeans brought with them. This episode of the Success Project podcast series was recorded in the DRI offices in New York, New York, and featured William Easterly and Ross Levine. It was hosted by Will Comperl and produced by Carmen Cuestarocco. Visit nyudri.org to hear other episodes in our series, read the European origins of economic development, and learn more about the Success Project. This project was made possible through the support of a grant from the John Templeton Foundation. The opinions expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the John Templeton Foundation. Mm-hmm.